If you feel pitiful, we're going to get to you tonight. God has a word for you. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 8, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. He's talking about what he sees, what he feels, what he hears, but he doesn't end with that. Trouble on every side. You can see it, you can hear it, you can read about it. You feel it, but do you stop there? No. You got trouble? He said, yeah, we got trouble on every side, yet we are not distressed about it. Can you have trouble on all sides and not be distressed? Most folk have not learned how to do this, but you can. I said you can. You know, I grew up just next door in Mississippi. And I don't know, I would imagine there's a lot of similarities here. But we were taught to worry. We were trained to worry. We were trained growing up that if you care, you worry. Right? I mean, for instance, if your mama is laying up in the hospital and you're not worrying, you're just sorry. Huh? You got financial problems? You got creditors on the phone? If you're not worrying, if you're not losing sleep, if you're not pulling your hair, you're just an irresponsible, sorry individual. Does anybody know what I'm talking now? Huh? Were you trained that way? Now you might like to think, well, man, I've been delivered from all that, but a lot of times there's vestiges of this stuff. Minds have not been fully renewed. And people expect you to. They'll tell you things and then wait to look, see if you worry about it. To see how much you care about it. To see. And if they tell you, I got this big problem, and you go, okay. And then you go on like you're going to have a fun day. They're like, sorry, rascal. He don't even, <laughs> he don't even care about me. She look at that. They're like, I didn't even tell him anything. But if we do what the Bible says, then we cast all of our care, the whole of our concerns and worries once for all over on the Lord. And if you've thrown it on Him, how many cares would you have? If you cast all your care on the Lord, how many do you have left for you? If you cast all your care, how many remember that's in the Bible now? Hmm? Huh? Go to First Peter. Some of you look like you think I'm making this up. We're believing God tonight, right? First Peter, fifth chapter, seven, five, seven. What does it say? Casting all, 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 all. All, your care, 
upon him. Why? For he cares for you. I know a friend of mine some years ago, very studious. He said he's going to look up this word all and do an extensive etymological study. He researched the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew and the Chaldean. And he looked at the roots in the English and the French and on and on. And he said what he found out that this word A-L-L, translated from Greek to English in the King James, what it really meant, if you take them all from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and Chaldean, kind of the general consensus, what it really meant in our language today was all. <laughs> That's it's probably the best word to describe. <laughs> well, the reason I say that, because what does all mean? All means all, everything included, nothing excluded, nothing left out. If you do this, how many believe you ought to do the Bible? If you did this, how many cares would you have? That wasn't everybody. First Peter 5, 7. That tells people, I know that, Brother Key. I know you know it. That's got little to do with it. Knowing it's not going to set you free. You got to do it. Do it. Practice it. Do it. Do it. If you do this verse, how many believe you should do the verse? Jesus said, the Holy Ghost through Peter here, casting all your care on him. That word cast is like the word throw. Throw it. Throw it off of you. Every time I, I, you know, I look at that word, what is it? Balo in the Greek, throw. And uh, I think about my dad. When I was a little boy, we lived in a little house. It was three room, not three bedroom, three room. <laughs> and in the summertime, it gets hot down here in the south. We didn't have air conditioning in those early days. And so my dad slept with the windows open. And I mean, his bed's right here and the window's right here. No screen. And man, about, oh, about two in the morning one morning, I heard the awfulest commotion and a big cat had jumped through the window and landed on my dad's chest <laughs> while he's sound asleep. <laughs> but I tell you what now, that cat, I don't think he got all four paws down. Before my dad was moving him out of the way. And he bollowed him back out the window. He threw him back out. The, wow, here comes a cat sailing back out the window. And that's the way you got to do worries. It'll try to come on you. But you got to throw it off. Did you hear now? It'll try to come on you. The same, you know, Paul talked about being careful for nothing. And he's the same one that also talked about the cares of the church that tried to come on him daily. Now, he didn't say he let them stay. That's the big deal. You will be tempted to worry. You'll be tempted to fret. The cares of life, and they will come to you. Something's not going right in your loved one's lives or your own life. You'll be tempted to fret and worry and fear. But you can't do that and be a faith person. You can't do it. Your worrying is not going to help them. Is it? Let's say a relative of yours is ill, sick. You can worry. 
You can give yourself stomach problems. You can go without sleep. Is that going to heal them? Has that ever healed anybody? Is there a, a level of intense worrying that actually causes people to be healed? All it does is break down your health. Because you and I were not designed, we were not created to handle this. Your body, your metabolism, your nervous system, your immune system is not designed to handle worry. Worry literally will make you sick. You can worry yourself into serious disease. Do you know that? They've done tests now in these areas. And found that fear response, worry and anxious response, they've been able to measure that it decreases the effectiveness of the immune system. It weakens the immune system. You can sit in your chair and worry half a day and you'll be much more susceptible to the flu or a cold or anything like that. Did you hear me? Literally affects your body. Well, if worry would affect you negatively, how about faith and the joy of the Lord, which is your strength? Would that affect you physically? It's real, friend. God's Word is medicine to all of our flesh. It's life to us. Quickens us. But you got to train yourself. Like I said, I mean, you know, if you grew up like me, you originally, you were taught and trained to worry. And if you really walk in faith, like you should, people will think something's wrong with you. They'll think, look at him. Poor thing. Ain't got sense enough to worry. (laughs) Don't even know. They told him he's got a terminal disease. Look at him. Acting like he's having a party today. Poor thing. Look at her. Hadn't got enough sense to realize they're about to come repossess everything she's got. Walking around, smiling, saying, hallelujah. Bless her heart. You understand what I'm talking about? If you really cast all your care on him, that's how you'll be. People will look at you like, don't you know you've got serious problems? (laughs) Serious problems. See, the devil wants you to reverence him. He wants you to reverence your disease. And see, we've been trained that way. For generations now, we've been trained that way. People talk about, did you hear? What? They've got cancer. The big C. <laughs> and people go, hmm. Right? Hmm? Did you hear? I got to have a hundred thousand, one hundred thousand dollars by the end of the month. People go. Hundred, hundred thousand. <laughs> if you reverence the problem, you're faithless. Right? How many remember Jesus said, marvel not? There's a whole message just in that. Marvel not. If you're marveling at something, you're not close to getting it. It's, uh, if, it's, if you think of something or you hear a number 
or you look at something and it just seems so big and so out of reach that you look at it and go, man. You go looking at cars. You look on the sticker, you go, you got to be joking. I didn't pay that much for my first house. You got then you're not even close to having one. Did you hear me now? You're not in the ballpark. Right? But when you get to the place where you look at it and go, Hey, God can do that. Sure. Why can't God do that? Right? You can't reverence the problem. Now I know, uh, <laughs> I got all kind of good notes over there, but this is where we are. Y'all believing with me, right? When I first started working with Brother Hagen, they put me on the phones, and then they put me counseling. And I remember the first couple, I grew up, like I said, next door in Mississippi, in the country. We didn't have a lot of money, but we, we were blessed. My parents loved each other and stayed together, and we grew our own food. And I mean, we, we lived a good life. I romped and run in the country and had a good childhood. And while some of these people, they're coming from all over the world, you know, and I'm wet behind the ears, got no experience, and they begin to tell me about their problems. <laughs> and they begin to get into stuff, and I got my Kleenexes there, and I'm telling you, as they're going on, they, finally they'd look at me and cry and go, oh my God, Brother Keith, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'd reach and hand them a Kleenex, and I'd get one for me too. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you messed up. You are messed up. I didn't know you could get that messed up. <laughs> and so they crying and, and I'm crying. I'm going, whew. <laughs> but that, that didn't help them. Right? Us crying. And what are we doing though? What are we doing? We're reverencing the problem. Aren't we? We're going, oh, great problem. <laughs> How great thou art. Oh, I don't think Jesus himself could do anything. Well, that's what people are saying without meaning to. That's what they're saying. But I had to get to the place where no matter what I heard or, or what I saw, I'd give them a Kleenex, but I didn't get one for me. I'd say, yeah, but the word says. Isn't that what we just got through reading? Trouble on every side. Yet. Not distressed. Perplexed, but. Not in despair. Well, we got symptoms of sickness. Yeah, but. The Word of God said. By stripes. You were healed. You got to have more respect from that. And so many times I would give people, there were different times I'd give people the Word, and I'd start to give them like Isaiah 53 or First Peter, and they'd finish it for me. One fellow said, young man, he said, I was following Brother Hagen while your mama's still changing your diaper. <laughs> now, you don't say everything you think. But I had some thoughts right then, which I didn't say. But one of my thoughts was, well, if you know so much, what you doing here trying to get a young whippersnapper like me to help, Amen. right? Amen. But I didn't say that. But then the Lord helped me to see because... After that, I would try to say, well, they already know this. I try to find something new. But how many know we don't need to find something new? We need to act on what we've heard. 
We need to believe what we've heard. And the Lord corrected me on it. He said, no, you don't need to look for something new that they haven't heard. He said, when you get, when somebody tells you their problem and you give them the word and they're still upset, that's because they don't believe my word. Did you get that now? You hear the word about your problem and you're still scared and upset. It's because you don't believe the word. You don't believe it. Because if you believe it, there's nothing to be scared about anymore. If you believe it, there's nothing to be depressed about anymore. If you believe by his stripes, you were and are healed. And with a long life, he's going to satisfy you. If you believe that, then you're no longer scared of the disease. Hmm? Amen. Casting all of your care over on him. All of it. Now go with me, how about it? We were there in 1 John 4 when we started. Go with me. Like I said, I'll review a little bit more. But go with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. This morning we talked about, are you a victim or a victor? And we talked about the spirit of faith. We just got through reading. Like Brother Hagin used to say, the spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Why don't you say that a few times? The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Let's say it two more times together. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Once again, the spirit of faith is the spirit of a victory. First John 5, 4 said, you know, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so people who are in faith, they have that unmistakable smell of victory about them. Tone of victory in their voice. Look of victory. They got the spring of victory in their step. They're not defeated. They're not down. They're the victorious ones. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. We gave definition of a victim. A victim is called, synonyms of the word victim is underdog, rich, unfortunate. Some people today would say unlucky. We don't believe in luck. Casualty. Fatality. Injured party. If you, if you take the role of the injured party, somebody who's been hurt, then you're not a victorious one. You're a helpless Victim. Can't be both. You got to identify with the risen Christ. Not your failures in life. Not somebody else's sins against you. Not your past experiences. You must identify with the Lord. In Him, we're complete. Who are you in Him? What are you in Him? I said out loud, I'm not a victim. I'm in Him. Well, what are you in him? 
Oh, you're an overcomer. You're righteous. You're forgiven and cleansed. Right? Made holy. Made clean. Made right. In Him, you can't think about in life and in past. And you got to think about in Him. Victim is also called a statistic. A sufferer. A loser. A victim is a loser. Now, people use situations to manipulate other people to feel sorry for. It can start when you're a child, a small child. And people feed it sometimes without thinking about it like they should. Little ones learn sometimes that if they're sick, they don't have to go to school. Which can come in real handy on a test day. (laughs) Right? Not only that, if you act real pitiful, grandma or mama will make you your favorite soup. Let you stay home from school. Check on you 55 times in the day. Bunch up the cover around you. Pat your head. Baby. How you feel, baby? You want mama to get you some of that Kool-Aid like you like? You want mama to bake you a pie? And so people can learn at an early age, hey, (laughs) this is great. Right? And teenagers learn that if they play the victim, they can get away from punishment maybe. Something's going down. They know they're about to get in trouble. They know, hey, the jig is up. They got caught red-handed. And they bring up something, some way that they got hurt and that they were done wrong. And so now the spotlight is off of their mistake. And mom or daddy go, oh, well, oh, well, that's all right. That's, well, how did you get hurt, baby? And, People become shrewd manipulators at early ages. Listen, friends, don't let people get by with it. Children should not be allowed to get by with it. Employees should not be allowed to get by with it. Why? Because it is serious stuff. It is yielding to the situation. If you use sickness as a friend, I know I was in a church some uh, number of years ago. You know, the Holy Ghost will lead you. A lot of times you don't even know it. And I stood in front of this lady. I didn't know her. I'd never seen her. I didn't didn't find this out until later. And I talked about using a sickness. And I specifically mentioned asthma. And using an inhaler and not even trying to believe God. Because it got you attention. It got you out of work. You could, you know, she'd be in, I know this, except by the Holy Ghost, be in an argument with her husband and didn't like the way it was going and started acting like she's having an attack. (laughs) I stood right in front of her and just went through, I didn't know it, but it was her, the woman. And then it got serious. I mean, I talked about it for about 20 minutes and then I said, I said, if it doesn't change, you're going to die with it soon. 
Now that's strong, isn't it? I said, because you can't use it and, and let it be your friend when you, it's convenient for you and get rid of it. You can't say, no, nah, I'm going to resist it by stripes. I'm healed today. And that afternoon, you use it to get you out of trouble. Does not work. She died in six months from asthma. Isn't that sad? The Lord's trying to help her. I, I didn't know it. They called me a few months later and said, Brother Keith, did you know that? I said, no, I didn't know it. Didn't have to know. Didn't need to know it. The Lord wasn't interested in embarrassing anybody. How many know it was not God's will for her to die at early age? But see, you can't use that. I mean, you know, nothing's wrong. She's not having an attack, but she did something, you know, dumb, and her husband's not happy with it, and he's talking to her about it, and so she starts having this fake attack. How many know what I'm talking about? People use these things. To solicit sympathy. It can be as simple as a headache. Oh, I have a headache. I can't talk right now. (laughs) Real convenient. Just at the same time you're being called on the carpet about something. Oh, I can't talk right now. You know my stomach's acting up. (laughs) But I can't deal with that right now. You know that's affecting my blood pressure. (laughs) Then you're going to have blood pressure problems because it is your friend you can't use it and get rid of it you got to take sides against it and never use it and never yield to it this is important friends because folks sitting right here right here tonight and this applies to you directly specifically and I don't you know, I know some things but I don't have to know but listen it's because if you don't quit using it it's going to cost you you're going to have serious health problems in the near future but that doesn't have to be it's not the will of God but you got to stop using it Amen. and you got to stop doing anything for people to feel sorry for you yes, are you a victim are you pitiful to be pitied. Should people feel, is there reasons for people to feel sorry for you? I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me. Do you? That was a little weak. Come on now. Do you want somebody feeling sorry? For, who do you want feeling Yeah, yeah. That's better. Say it out loud. I do not want anybody feeling sorry for me. For any, For any reason. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. First Samuel 22. I want you to see something that happened. And see the way the enemy works. We're not ignorant of his devices. And this revealed some of this. Mm, I should have read another verse to you. I'll just quote it to you. You know, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, The sorrow of the world works Death. Say that out loud. The sorrow of the world world works death. death. That's serious, isn't it? The sorrow of the world works death. Well, the enemy wants you in this sorrow. And he wants you yielding to it. And he wants it working in you. And in 1 Samuel 22, you see this happen to Saul. 1 Samuel 22, 
It's down about verse 6 we'll start. Saul had been anointed king. Things should have been great and grand. Anointing of God was on him. But he got off because he was rebellious. He was hard-headed. He was unteachable. Wouldn't admit it when he'd made mistakes. Pride. And uh, verse 6. Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him. Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear in his hand. All his servants were standing about him. Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? And there's none that shows me that my son has made a league with the son of Jesse. And there's none of you that's sorry for me me. Do you hear that? You know how strong this is in him? None of you are sorry for me. Now, do you understand how he went through the unteachableness, through the hard-headedness, the rebellion? He started down a dark path. And this was involved in it, him feeling sorry for himself. It was so strong in him that he told all of them, the whole bunch out there that day publicly, none of you is sorry for me. The Bible says in Romans that if you are unthankful, your understanding is darkened. Your understanding gets darkened. And if you feel sorry for yourself and you're thinking other people should feel sorry for yourself, why? Why should they feel sorry for you? Because you believe it is bad for you and it's going to be bad. So you should pity me. Going down that path darkens your understanding. You get darker and darker. Did it happen with him? Oh, he got to the point where he was tormented. With demons. He got to the point where he's trying to kill people around him. I mean literally possessed. We see him in the end out trying to find a witch. See if he could, that's right. To see if he could get some direction. That's how darkened his understanding had got. Oh friend do you see the path that this takes you? It's intertwined with self pity. You get to laying around feeling sorry for yourself. And you get mad at other people because they don't feel sorry for you. It gets darker and darker and darker in your understanding. That's how people get so twisted up. They don't see right. They don't think right. And they'll push away the very people that care the most about them. A lot of you have seen it and you've tasted this. You know what I'm talking about. It's, It's devilish stuff. You know how you get out of it? Real simple. You begin to give thanks. If unthankfulness darkens your understanding, what would thankfulness do? It would begin to enlighten you. You begin to thank God. Thank God. And you don't, listen to me now, you don't talk about what you don't know. You don't talk about what you don't have. You don't talk about what you can't do. You don't talk about what you are not. Don't do it. Don't do it. And never, ever, ever, 
ever, for any reason, at any time, under any circumstances, never, ever, ever, never, never feel sorry for yourself. Never. There's never a legitimate excuse. There's no situation that could be so bad that, yeah, you got a right to feel sorry for yourself. No, can't happen. The way you come out is you begin to thank God. I don't care. You know, I've seen people at healing school before when I was working with Brother Hagin. And they get to focusing on their problem. Let's say they got a finger that something's wrong with it. And they get to focusing on that finger. And they talk like this, you know, my finger, Brother Key. I had a fellow one time, he's telling me, he said, my tear ducts, they don't work right. I don't know why they don't, but they don't. My eyes so dry. He said, my tear ducts don't work right. He must have said it ten times while I was standing there. He said, my tear ducts don't work right. I don't know why they don't, but they don't. My eyes so dry because my tear ducts don't work right. I said, how long you been saying that? He said, what? <laughs> See, he didn't even say it. How long you been saying that your tear ducts don't work right? He said, about eight months. I said, how long they haven't been working right? He said, about eight months. I said, well, now that's not working good. Let's do something else. Right? And the problem is, let's say something's wrong with somebody's finger. They focus on it and go, my finger. Oh, man. Man, I wish my finger worked right, but it don't. It, other people's finger work right. Why don't my finger work right? It ain't fair. <laughs> and completely forget that they got nine that's just fine. Huh? Got ten toes that work good. Got ankles and knees and elbows that work good. But see, what happens is the more unthankful you get, the more darkened you become. Darkened. Hold your place there. Some of you need to read that. I referred to it. But go back to Romans. Everybody say thankfulness. 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 Romans 1 and 20. He said, The invisible things of him of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was what? darkened. This is just a principle now, spiritual principle, that the more unthankful and the more you fail to acknowledge God in your life, your thoughts become vain and your understanding in your heart becomes darkened and it makes you more susceptible to feeling sorry for yourself. Let me say this, this statement, then we'll expound on it. The Lord gave this to me years ago. I wrote it down. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. People don't understand. They misunderstand walking in love. And so therefore give and yield to people's flesh when they put pressure on them or when they demand things from them. How many remember Ahab and Jezebel? Hmm? Remember one day, Ahab, he saw a vineyard, a piece of property that he wanted, Naboth's vineyard, 
And he said, you know, sell me your, your land or else I trade you for a better piece of land. And Nabal said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. The Lord forbids me. That's part of my inheritance and my family's. I can't do it. I'm sorry. I can't do it. And he came home and went to bed and poked his lip out and felt sorry for himself, didn't he? Now, I want you to see something. Where is this going? When you start that, are you opening the door to the devil? If anybody knows the rest of the story, you know some awful things happen. And where did it start? It started with pouting. He came in there, piled upon the bed, and Jezebel came in. She said, what's wrong, baby? You didn't eat your supper. He said, what's wrong, baby? My Huh? What? Neighbors would sell me his vineyard. He, what? You the king, baby. What do you mean he wouldn't sell you? He wouldn't sell me his vineyard. How many know the rest of the story? She set this righteous man up. Had people lie on him in the courts of the land. Executed him. Seized his property. Lying. Stealing. Murder. Where did it start? Where did it start? Pouting. See where it started? Friends, when you start down that path, your understanding gets darker and darker and darker. And family... Grandparents and parents and spouses have not realized they called it walking in love. But friend, when somebody puts pressure on you about what you ought to do for them. Well, if you love me, you'd do this for me. And if they loved you, they wouldn't be saying that. Did you hear me? They're, They're telling you more than they mean to be right now. They're telling you they don't love you. They don't care about you. All they want is what you can do for them. Well, if you love me, if you cared about me, and pressure, pressure. How I mean, that sounds like Delilah working on Samson, doesn't it? How many know that was devilish? Trying to steal the anointing? Well, if you cared about me, you, you don't care about me. You don't care about me. Well, acting like that, who would want to? When people... You know, we see it in the ministry a lot of times. I've had people come to me before and they said, you know, you ought to do this for us. I said, huh? Well, you have more than we do, so you ought to do this for us. Is that right? (laughs) You know what they've done now? I cannot be gracious to them. Why? Because they think I owe it to them. Should I do it? Now, this applies to you directly. Somebody comes and they feel like, well, you owe it to me. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my daughter. You're my son. You owe it to me. Now, you can't be gracious to them. They've taken it out of the realm of grace. They feel for some reason they deserve it and they don't. Are you listening? How many understand with God, you cannot come to him like that. 
I've had people tell me, well, Brother Keith, I don't understand. Ain't many. She's a fine woman. She baked pies and she never missed a day at the church. And why didn't the Lord heal her? I said, what's that got to do with her being healed? They're like, well, she's a good woman. I said, so? What's that got to do with her being healed? It's got nothing to do with her being healed. You do not receive a healing because you did good things. If that's the case, you earned it. You don't, you, you haven't earned anything. Sometimes people, if something bad's going on, they say, oh, what did I ever do to deserve this? The answer is plenty. <laughs> Lots. <laughs> if you and I got what we deserved, we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We'd be sick and broke all our short, miserable life and die prematurely and go to hell. If we got what we deserved. Let's don't talk about that. Let's don't talk, let's talk about how Jesus took what we deserve, so we could get what we did not deserve. That's why it's called grace. It's grace. We didn't earn it. It's not owed to us. So anytime, even when people use the words or they don't, anytime it comes across, you owe me. That's when you start backing off. Did you hear me? I'm serious now. I don't care who it is. You, you owe me. That is not God talking. That is not right. Marriage problems. There have been times I've sat at the desk with people going through all kinds of problems. And I've seen some form of this time after time after time. She looks at him and says, well, you don't love me like you're supposed to. If you love me like you're supposed to, maybe I could submit to you. Maybe I could follow you. And he, and he says, well, if you submit to me like you're supposed to, maybe I could love you. Like I'm supposed to. Well, I have needs. And you're not there for me. And the other one says, well, I have needs too. You ever heard anything like this? What's going on? Both people are saying, give me. Give me. You owe me. You're supposed to. I had a lady one time. She said, well, I want him to do this. And I said, no, you don't. She said, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. I want him to do this for me, and I want him to do that for me. I said, no, you don't. She said, I know I do. I said, no, you don't. She said, why do you say that? I said, you don't want him to do it. You want him to want to do it, to desire to do it. You don't want just somebody just doing something, right? To want to do it, to desire to do it. Both people are saying, give me, give me. Well, you give me. Well, you give me and maybe I'll give you. Nobody's giving anything. There's nothing to receive. Both people acting like they deserve something. Something's owed to them. People say, well, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. You never saw that in the Bible. No. The divine love gives. While we were yet his enemies, he gave to us. What if one says, I'm giving and I'm asking for nothing? Here you go. Why'd you do that? Just wanted to. What do you want? Nothing. What do you want in return? I'm not asking for a thing. What if one party's given and the other party's given and this one, and they're not asking for anything in return, they're given, then there's plenty to receive. You must not have this mentality about anybody owes you anything. Right? Now, when it comes to forgiveness, same thing is true. The Bible compares forgiveness of people sinning against you to release of debt. 
Just like releasing a debt. And it's not based on feelings. And this is what you do. See, Christians, sometimes they say, well, I forgave them, I forgave them. But the thoughts come back and they go, man, I can't forget how that sorry rascal did me. And they get all worked up and go, oh, what's wrong with me? I haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness is not based on feelings. You do it by faith. And it's just like a debt. Let's say somebody owed you $10,000. And you decide you're going to release them from it. You call them in. You say, here's a contract. You could not even feel like it. You're just doing it because the Lord told you to. And you say, here, see this? You don't owe me anything anymore. They walk out of the room. You might wish you hadn't done it next week. But you did. Right? Ain't based on feelings. Contracts tore up. They don't owe you. That's how you forgive people. It's not based on how you feel. You say, I release them. They owe me nothing. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me an explanation. They don't owe me restitution. They owe me nothing. Got nothing to do with how you feel. Everybody said out loud, they owe me nothing. They owe me nothing. They owe me nothing. 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 That's how you forgive and you don't go back and forth with it. That's how you get free. And remember the Lord said when you forgive what's going to happen, he's going to forgive you. Right? Go with me to 1 Samuel. We've talked about the victim. Let's talk about the victor. How many want to talk about the victor? The the victorious one. Because that's talking about us, right? That's us. That's who we are. In the first Samuel, should have had you hold your place, I guess. The first chapter, you see the story, first Samuel 1. This was, you know, right before Samuel was born, and it's how he was conceived and came to be. His mother, Hannah, could not conceive. And the Bible said in verse Four, First Samuel 1, 4. When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary provoked her sore for to make her what? What is the adversary always wanting you to do? Fred, worry, and... Be depressed and feel sorry for yourself. Do you ever have to be? Is it just come on you so strong that you couldn't help it? It was just bigger than you. You can't help it. No, the Bible said there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able to stand. If it's there, you can resist it. If it was too big for you, it wouldn't be there. Never do you have to get out. Never. Never. No such thing as something being so big and so bad that you just couldn't help it. Had to be depressed. Provoking her to make her fret. And she did so year by year. Everybody say year by year. Man, this didn't happen a day or two now. Year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord. So she provoked her. Therefore, she, Hannah, did what? She wept. She cried. And wouldn't eat. Is she in good shape? Crying. Why? 
I can't have a baby. I can't conceive. I don't understand why these other women can't conceive. And this is eclipsing everything else in her life. Isn't it? She's become a depressed woman. Crying all the time. And Elkanah, her husband, he said to her, Hannah, baby, why are you crying? Why don't you eat? I understand it gets wearisome being around depression all the time. Because you can't make somebody resist it. And if they yield to it and bring a cloud in the house and you live in the same house, makes it tough. Because you can't make somebody quit yielding. And he said, uh, why don't you eat? Why is your heart so grieved? He said, you got me. <laughs> he said, I'm better than ten bu- boys, ain't I? You got me. <laughs> and if you put it all together, she cried. <laughs> she cried some more. Let's just stop right here. Is that okay? Hmm? Is it okay? Is she being unthankful? She does not appreciate what she has. She's letting this one thing eclipse everything else in her life. She doesn't appreciate her husband. She doesn't appreciate her life. She doesn't appreciate anything else that God... It's all eclipsed. And how many understand what we're talking about? We saw it in Romans... When you become unthankful, your thoughts become vain and your understanding and heart is darkened. It gets darker. You get dumber and dumber every day. I've endeavored to help people that have yielded to this for months and months and months and months. And sometimes it's like talking to a post. You tell them something, they just look at you and cry. It doesn't even register on them. Unreasonable. Completely unreasonable. Why? They've become so darkened. Can you get out of that? I said, can you get out of that? How would you begin to come out? Begin to thank God for what you have. Thank God for what He's done for you. And immediately, your understanding will begin to brighten up again. Do you have anything to be thankful for? Man, your name is on the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven. They're working on your mansion right now. No matter what's going on, how many glad your heart's beating tonight? How many glad you can think? How many glad you can breathe? Got feet, you got part, maybe something's not working right, but you got a lot of stuff it is. My clothes ain't very nice. Well, you got something to wear. Uh, If you'd have been naked, we wouldn't let you in here. You, You had something? My old car is just an old rattle trap. It beats a bicycle. It beats walking. Well, I am walking. Well, thank God for two good legs. Right? Right? This is how you come up. You can't say, I'm leaving for a new car. I'm leaving for a new car. I'm leaving for a new car. Ah, this sorry piece of junk. I'm so tired. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You are negating your faith. Thank you, Lord, for my new clothes. Thank you, Lord, for my new clothes. Open the closet. I ain't got a thing to wear. Look at this junk. Unthankful. 
Yeah, believe for better, but be thankful for what you have. Be thankful, be appreciative and grateful. Grateful. He said, baby, baby, quit crying. You're always crying. You're crying around the house all the time. You know, it bothers the pets and the neighbors and everybody. You just keep, I mean, the dog starts howling and, it, and baby, it, I, you know, it gets old, you know. Hey, hey, you got me. She goes, Ooh. This went on for years. Years. How much of life is too short to be having that kind of environment at your house? Life is too short. Life is precious. We ought to be having hallelujah times. Celebration times. Every day you can find something to be thankful for. You can find something to praise God about. That's how you come into more. It's how you come up. But notice what happened. When it turned around, you can see it when it turned. Hannah rose up. She went to Shiloh. Verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept. So I told you she cried some more. And she prayed the prayer. Verse 13, Hannah prayed in her heart. Her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. He said, you drunk woman, how long are you going to be drunk? Put that wine away. She said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Eli said, verse 17, go in peace. God of Israel grant you your petition that you've asked of him. She took that as a word from the Lord. She took that as a word from the Lord that the Lord had told her her request was granted. Now look at it. Here's where it turned. Here's where it turned. Verse 18. She said, let your handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went her way and did what? She eat and her countenance was no more sad in a few months. How many understand? You can cry, you can feel sorry for yourself for years and have nothing but agony. But the moment you take the word of the Lord and you say, that's it, that's it, God, I got my answer. When you get in faith, you are no more sad, no more sad, no more sad, no more depression, no more down. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Say that out loud. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Glad. Faith rejoices. Faith gives thanks. Faith is glad. Faith is glad. So you can't, there's no such thing as being in faith about something and being depressed over it. No such thing. People sad. You know, people can tell what kind of stuff's going on in your life just by coming in and sitting beside you. You're not a faith person. They come in and sit down and look at you and you go, something wrong? No. What, what's wrong? No. Because when you're in faith, you don't act that way. You come in 
People, I mean, you could have more going on in your life than 20 people put together, but they can't tell it by looking at you. I said, they can't tell it by looking at you. Man, you dress up and you fix yourself and you come on in and you go, ha, glory to God. God's on my case. He's working on the case. It's all going to be all right. People may say behind your back, that poor woman, that poor man, he got this, they in a mess. They in a mess. Look at them up there shouting. Well, they'll also see when the victory comes to pass too. Begin to put two and two together. If you believe that the money's on the way, you've sowed your seed, you've claimed the harvest, you cannot be depressed over the situation. Money's on the way. If you believe God heard your prayer, healing's working in your body. With long life, you're going to be sad. You can't stay down. You can't stay depressed believing that. Right? We had a few folk get it right then. Glory to God. Would you stay with it so some more get it? I said, you can't stay down. When you believe the word. Glory to God. Remember the nobleman's son? He came to Jesus. He said, Lord, you know, would you... Well, actually, one place talks about he sent representatives. Another place just said it as though he did it. Both are true. And said, you know, uh, Lord, come down and heal my son before he dies. And the Lord said, lest you see something, you won't believe He said, Lord, come down before he does. He said, go your way. Your son lives. Hadn't seen anything. He hadn't heard anything. He's got a choice. Right? How many believe you got the word, you got it. You don't have to feel and see. You don't have to wait till you get the next. I've had people, I don't know at the time, say, Brother Keith, you don't believe with me. I'm going into the doctors. And would you believe with me? You know, let's believe for a good report. Why? See, people have their faith in that report. When are they going to believe they're healed when they get that report? That ain't faith. I said, that's not faith. When you get in faith and you stand in faith, eventually that one will have to agree with the one you've got. But you're not waiting until you get that to believe you're healed. So you don't focus on that. Believe with me that these symptoms will change. Believe with me that let's believe that we're healed right now and go ahead and shout. Before we see anything, before we feel anything, let's just believe we got it right now and shout, glory to God, glory to God, no more sad, no more sad, no more sad, Nehemiah 8.10 said, neither be sorry. Don't be sorry. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you're depressed, you're weak. I was at a church a number of years ago. And bless these folks hard. There were three ladies sitting on the front row. And I mean, from the time I started preaching, they started groaning. Oh. Ah. Oh. I mean, all through my message. Oh, it was distracting. Well, it's not my church. I figured maybe it was some of their people, you know. And the next service, same thing. After the service, I asked the pastor, I said, who are those, uh, those folks? He said, well... Those are some intercessors here in the church. 
He said, they're praying for you. I said, well, I wish they'd quit. <laughs> he looked kind of taken aback. Why? Because it wasn't right. Listen, don't misunderstand me. There are times when you can sense that the Spirit is grieved about something. There's time, you know, people call it a burden to pray. I don't know if that's the best word. But you sense a heaviness about something. But that don't mean you go around for two weeks depressed. Come on now. No, you get to prayer about it. You pray it through and then you get up and you shout. Did you hear me now? You pray about it. You pray it through and you get up and you, you don't go around depressed. You show me a depressed prayer, I'll show you a weak prayer. Weak. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anybody walking with God and walking in the Spirit, they're going to have joy. They're going to have some strength. The Holy Spirit has nothing to do with depression. Because the sorrow of the world works death. Did you see it? When did her victory come? When did the miracle begin to work inside her body? When? When she took that word of the Lord, she said, that's it. That's it. I got it. And she was no more sad. Everybody say it out loud. No more sad. Say it again. No more sad. Say it again. No more sad. One more time. No more. No more. No more. Now listen, there's some people in this place right now. You've heard this. You see it. You know it. You must act on this to be spared some problems in your near future. And those around the folks that have been yielding to this, you are not helping them by yielding to this. Letting them close up in their bedroom and pull the blinds and lay in there for days at a time. Did you hear me? And say, well, they're just, you know, bless their heart. They're just going through some things. They're yielding to some things. They need to quit yielding. They need to begin to resist this. Are you with me now? Because a lot of things on the last See, the further you go this way, the more confused, the more darkened you become until you don't even make sense anymore. Now, what do you got to do? Pull the blinds. Go sit in the sunshine. Right? If you have to, get out in your yard and thank God for the blades of grass. Oh, look at that. Ain't that pretty? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, whoo, thank you for the air. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you that I live in a country where I'm free. Thank you I'm not dodging bullets today. Thank you I'm going to eat today. Thank you I can sleep without pain. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's when victory comes. That's when the turn. That's when the change comes. And you are no more sad. No more. No more. No more. Yeah, but now, Brother Keith, you don't understand. You not, That's all fine and good, but you understand. See, see, we've taken them to the doctor. And they are clinically depressed. <laughs> oh. You don't mean clinically. Because <laughs> we all know that's out beyond the realm of God's help, right? I mean, if, if, it's, if it's clinically depressed well (laughs) that's how people stay bound because they want to make out like their situation is unique 
Nobody's ever been through what I've been. Oh, are you kidding? People have been through twice as bad and we're not half the baby. The spirit, say it out loud, the spirit of faith, spirit of faith. Is, is the spirit of victory. The spirit of victory. For, go to 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm thinking about closing. We've quoted this, we've referred to this several times, but let's read it. Because it sums up so many of these things. 1 Corinthians 10. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. This, the unconquerable spirit. He said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is what? What does that mean? Other people. Like First Peter said, your brethren are experiencing the same things, same temptations and problems, common to man. Now, is that true that everything you've ever experienced or anything that you're going through now is a common problem? I didn't get a, quite a good enough response on that. Because people want to hold on to this. They were, oh, no, no, Brother Keith, you just don't know. Nobody knows what I've been through in this thing. See, what they're wanting is for us to go, oh, great problem. Oh, I know it, honey. I know I don't know. I know nobody knows. That ain't true. It is common. Common. Everybody say common. Anything, everything you've ever experienced or ever will is common. Millions of people all over the planet have been through it and worse. It's common. But God is, oh, he's faithful. He's faithful. He will not suffer. He will not allow or permit you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape, a way to come out. If it's in front of you, there's a way out of it. There's a way over it. You know that. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be there. God wouldn't let it be there if there was no way out. You couldn't overcome it, it wouldn't be there. I've used this illustration sometimes because this is how I see it in my mind. I like machines, I like cars and motorcycles and stuff. And you hear different Christians talking, and sometimes people don't realize they're talking about the same experience. But you wouldn't know it to hear them. Because you got Brother Terry Trial. And Brother Vic Victory. And what has happened is Brother Terry Trial. He meditates on trial. And he sings coming up on the rough side. And you know, you, his life is not what it should be. He's not close to God. He yields to fear and doubt and worry, and his faith mobile is missing on three cylinders. And the carburetor is gummed up. And so he does okay if it's on a decline or a level spot. 
But he comes to a hill. He ain't doing but 40. And he starts up the hill. Oh, Lord. Downshift. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, we're coming up on the rough side. Second gear. He's down to low gear. And this thing is jumping. And Pai missed one more beat. He's going to roll all the way back down. And if by the mercy and the grace of God, he comes over the hill and he pulls into the filling station, the local church, and they go, where'd you come from? Oh, brother. It's the biggest mountain. Oh, nobody. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what I've been through. And here comes Brother Vic Victory. He lives close to God. He feeds his faith. He does not yield to fear and unbelief. So his engine is highly tuned and has a supercharger. He's been filled with the Holy Ghost and he's got the power. So his normal rate of speed is 95. So he comes moving through at 95 and he sees the hill and he goes, ha, look at that little hill. So he downshifts and gets into the full barrel. And up the hill, he slowed down all the way to 80. And he comes over and pulls into the filling station. And they say, where'd you come from? Oh, right back here. They go, ooh, the mountain. You come over the mountain. You go, that hill? That wasn't a deal. Same experience. Same situation, I should say. Different experience of it. But the same situation. It was a common trial. The reason one person thought it was so bad was because they were so weak. But I'm looking at a bunch of supercharged. Come on, here's a place for you to jump in. I'm looking. I'm looking at high output. Holy Ghost injected. Power supercharged. High speed. Victory. Christians. Yeah. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you move through life with speed and grace and power. So when you, if you do run up against some big something, you already got some momentum going. You, I mean, God dealt with you three weeks ago and you got to pray an extra in the Holy Ghost and you got built up and he had you preach to you five special sermons. You didn't know it, but they fed you and you already got the answers and you already got the faith when you hit the thing. So you just go right through. That's the way to live life. Not this chugging and spitting and hissing, you know, hitting on two cylinders and you barely make it. How many understand? It does not pay to live cold, to live far from God. Go to church once every three months. That does not pay. That makes life hard for you. Makes life easy. Feed your spirit every day. Pray in tongues every day. Serve God every day. Makes life easy for you. Makes you a victor. 
Yeah, somebody knew it. Vic, victor. Let me read you what a victor is. You ready for it? Who am I talking about here tonight? This, this victor. Not victim. I'm not a victim. Even if you have been in the past. No more. No more. No more. Now you're a victor. A victor is a person who succeeds in contest. These are synonyms now. A victor is a champion. A master. A conqueror. A vanquisher. A conquistador. Yeah, a winner. A victor is a winner. I mean, have you heard these words before? Conqueror, winner. Does that sound like Bible? That's what a victor is. Victorious one. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. You know it, but let me read it to you again. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. Thanks be to God. Which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I traveled with Brother Hagin for a number of years. And he'd say this all the time. We'd just be riding along in the car. Nothing going on. No sound. And just, I mean, so to speak, out of the blue, he'd just say, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. Couldn't say it too much, could you? You ought to say it when you're tempted to worry. You ought to just jump out. And if you've been yielding to this in times past, if you find yourself, you haven't been watching close enough, and here you are laying up in the bed. Again, what should you do? You grab your ear. And you go ahead and pull yourself out of it. You say, hey, thanks be unto God who gives me the victory. Through my Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Always. Always. I'm a victorious one. I'm a conquistador. I'm a conqueror. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Stand on your feet and say, I'm a winner. 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 Somebody says, yeah, but you know, I already, this already happened and I already lost a battle. Just a battle. It ain't over. I said, it ain't over. You had a temporary setback. But it ain't over till we win. Till we win, you just stay on it till you say, uh, uh, now, now I've won. Now it's done. Now, now I've won. And when you believe that's happening, you can't stay depressed. You can't stay sad about this. Close your eyes. Say, I'm a winner. I'm, a winner. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm, conqueror. I'm, an I'm an overcomer. The greater one, the greater one lives, inside of lives inside of me. Victory, Victory. lives inside of me. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. He always causes me to triumph every time he gives me the victory for there have been dark times there have been sad times of deepness 
times of deep sorrow, and it worked death. And many who have yielded to it, some in ignorance, some ignoring some light they had. And paka il est and concore et and it's cost, it's cost a price, it's hurt families, it's hurt marriages, it's hurt careers, it's hurt bodies. Bokoui elem profond and in manile plis no antampache, but the light of the word of God has come up in the spirits of men and women tonight. And pokonuch and the banale e prosh nolate, and the blindness has come off of eyes, and the confusion has come off of minds, and prado ushne belo pane, and freedom breaks forth, and liberty prevails, and the word of God prevails. Oh, we ought to be happy. We ought to be happy. There's some people set free. It's going to be different around your house. It's going to be different. Oh, it's going to be so wonderful not to have that stuff in your house anymore. Oh, glory to God. The Bible said, He hath delivered us. Hath, not going to. Not in the process of, He hath. He has delivered us from all the power of darkness. Is that right? Are you free tonight? You'll know the truth, be a doer of it, and the truth will make you free. Are you free? Don't check all your feelings now. There's some folk you should proclaim tonight, I'm free. I'm free. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.